today when I went out to walk the dog, it was a really, really foggy day. And I don't know whether you guys noticed, but fog is really photogenic. So it really brought up to me a question. And this is the question I want to ask you. And and particularly, Ethan, I'm going to ask you, hey, how did your Kickstarter go? Uh, haven't we talked about the Kickstarter enough on this podcast? Nah, uh, nah just tell us about it. It's just yeah. finished, so let's, okay, okay. let's talk about it. So it um, finished, I think it had $14,600 in pledges, of which I think $14,100 have been collected. Uh, so it is, it's good okay. to go. It really surprised me uh, for a long, long time up until the end of it. I thought it would not uh, get there, but... It turns out there's more people sort of interested in the camera and the work uh, than I thought, which is great. Um, I learned a few lessons, which I, you know, might use on the next Kickstarter next year for the next thing that I find to release in this manner. Um, yeah, and I've spent the last couple of days printing camera parts to make assembly videos. I made one video on how to slice the files to print. Um, it's 56 okay. minutes long, and I think I will re-record it and try and get it to uh, 25 minutes long. I think there's a lot of me going, uh, er, uh, uh, <laughs> in it. And yeah. I need to sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did do a lot of cutting that out in post, and then, you know, it winds up being a festival of jump cuts. And so I'm going to re-record that. I have two weeks before Kickstarter pays out, and I send all of the files out to everybody. And so... Um, on that day, I would like, you know, within five minutes to release all of the videos and the, email the files. And I've ordered a whole bunch of laser uh, cuttable acrylic this morning for um, dials. And yeah, I was really, um, really taken aback by it in, in a good way. Uh, I really appreciate everybody's support. Excellent. Now, one of the things that we cannot do and this is kind of um, I, I'm going to cherry pick some uh, some stuff from the results. But one of the things that we can't do because the Kickstarter's closed is we can't see how many people backed in each one of the categories. But what what were the numbers in the um, in the 50 and $100 range. Do, do you remember there? It was like, so I just calculated this morning because I needed to order yeah. enough, uh, etching acrylic right. to make the, the, uh, counters for people. Um, uh -huh. I think there's about like, uh, a little more than a hundred people who got one counter dial. I think 134 was the number. And then, uh, -huh. Something like 25 people ordered three of them, and so I've got to cut about 200 of them next week oh, when the okay. acrylic comes in. And, and I don't want to cast dispersions to the people who who pledged less, but I think that that's our core. If you're going at $50 or $100, that's the core of builders. I mean, you can almost 100% guarantee that those are going to be built, whereas some people, I think, kind of supported it because they wanted to see the camera in the world and and weren't ready to build you know to buy the um the 3d printer and then out of the remaining uh what is that 500 people Something like that, yeah. how many yeah i mean if we see if we see half of those cameras come about you know um then we've got an army of people 
with uh, with Bronco pans out there. Um, we've yeah, got enough sure. Bronco pans that it can drive many more Bronco pans. Uh, I, is, I think is so. What my and, goal is. and I hope so. You know, I've sold about 300 cameras this year uh, through Camera Dactyl. Um, that's usually, you know, homunculuses and uh, OG 4x5s. And uh-huh. I think I'm really excited to, you know, there's, I think, 780 backers, something like that. I think maybe within a month, you know, by by mid-February, there might be 600 Bronco pans out there, which, you know, yeah. to me is that's more than I could make in a year if I just sat and made that one camera. And it's really exciting to see, you know, camera dactyls all over the world. Um, this might be right. an interesting way to do some of that in the future. Right. And every one of those is going to be uh, an advertisement for... Um, for the next one, right? I hope um, so. I hope, hey, I hope that's my that? nefarious uh, that, uh, yeah. plan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you guys think? Should we start the homemade camera podcast? Yeah. Yes. All right, so we have a very special guest today. Um, this guest is responsible, I think, for my followership on Instagram before anybody else was, when I had about you know, five Instagram followers way back when, when I had only built one camera. Um, our next guest uh, found me somehow, I don't know how, and was really excited about it and excited about talking to me and um, shared some of my stuff on his account. And I think I got my first 400 followers through that. And so I've always been really appreciative of him and we've become friends over uh, the year and, and I've become really fascinated with the work he is doing and the work he has done. It is Mr. Jeff Perry of 20th Century Cameras. Um, Jeff makes a huge line of film developing reels for large format uh, large format film in rotary tanks um, and I guess we would say uh, daylight tanks um, and he also makes a ton of mods for the uh, Graflex SLRs huge <laughs> the largest SLRs I have ever seen um, and he is also a designer of 3d printers and other mechanical and electromechanical machines welcome jeff hey good to be here thanks for coming on um so let's start out with like some real basic things about your background um we're for sure going to get into machines but jeff how'd you get into photography Uh, my stepdad actually was an avid photographer he had um oh two or three exactas and was always out shooting wherever we went. Um, and he actually bought me my first camera, probably seven or eight. I got a, Oh, a Yashica rangefinder, uh, 35 millimeter. It, it had the, I couldn't actually tell you what the make was. Um, it's just too far back in history at this point, but that's what I started with. 
um, and just kind of fell in love with it. What, what, uh, I mean, if you were seven or eight, what types of things were you taking pictures of back then? Uh, you know, my friends and our <laughs> bikes and, uh, the dog. I feel like you still take pictures of your friends, your cars and the dog. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, because, you know, ultimately I'm nine. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I started out with my dad loaning me almost you know the same exact kind of camera, which I can't identify anymore either. I think it was German, but yeah, a viewfinder, all manual, no light yeah. meter, do it yourself. And he said, when you can get good exposure to that, I'll give you a real camera. <laughs> <laughs> So I did. <laughs> you know, and I rarely use the light meter to this day, uh, which is good news, bad news, kind of. If anybody's seen some of my photographs. Hey, hey, Jeff, it seems like um, photography has been a lifelong sport for you. Um, have there been periods where you've uh, put it down or, or um, you know, times that you can think of where you were styles or interests have changed yeah it's um so i was heavily into it through my 20s or into my 20s and there was about a 20-year period to where i didn't take one picture um in my early 40s i had the resources to, you know, buy the camera I always wanted, which it's funny. It was the Mia 645. Uh, for some reason, when I was a kid, I just thought it was the coolest camera in the world. So ended up picking one up used at a local shop up here in Portland and fell in love with it. And by the t oh, after about a year, I probably had three of them, and then I started looking at large formats. And you know, oh, in about two years after that, I was a you know a full blown camera and photograph addict again. So yeah, there has been a period to where I stepped away, um, career, life, you know, everything kind of. Oh, there just wasn't enough time to do it, unfortunately. And, you know, my priorities probably weren't aligned the way they should have been. <laughs> the most important thing is giant film SLRs. Yes. Hey, so I, I want to ask you about uh, career and, and kind of what you were doing from your 20s to your 40s. I think um, you and I share some some real interest in uh, electromechanical gizmos. Um, can you tell us, before we get into making cameras, how'd, how'd you get into making things? And, and let's talk about some of those things that you built. Well, I so I worked in a family business. Uh, my brother and my mom actually uh, had a business that manufactured racing equipment for the off-road industry. Um, and it afforded me an opportunity that not a lot of people get, um, at least at, at a fairly young age. So at 15, 16, I was working in our machine shop and fab shop and 
Oh, by the time I was 21, 22, I was programming all the CNC equipment and designing products for ATV racing. Okay, so somehow you went from racing equipment to um, building, let's say, electromechanical robots, right? Um, And I know that that has led eventually to working on 3D printer designs, which you know, we, we should get into more in depth, but also uh, one of my favorite things to talk to you about is your jello shot making machine. <laughs> that was a great project. Um, I got contracted to design and realize uh, an automated jello shot machine for use in bars and restaurants in the hospitality industry. And this thing, the criteria was that it had to mix, dispense, and have 20 jello shots ready in 10 minutes. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a wild product, a wild project. It went on for, at least my role in it went on for, a, uh, for about a year and a half before I transitioned out um, yeah, okay, it, Jeff, I, I, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Um, the initial meeting, how long was it before you realized you weren't being punked in a, in that meeting? <laughs> oh, because you know, the, I, it's the just first like, thing I did was Google this thing. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, this product was, you know, the ultimate frat boy dream. So. It was uh, it was actually cool, and we were able to pull it off. Um, it ended up being a cube about uh, about two feet. Um, it had a lid that you opened up on top. You put an alcohol cartridge in and a like a giant Keurig uh, coffee pod. Uh, in the top that had your jello solution and it would go through and add water to the jello and mix it and put it in a blending tank Uh, then you'd pump your alcohol in it and then it went through a a giant uh, thermal battery and it basically brought the slurry from about 102 degrees down to Oh, about 28 degrees as it exited the uh, oh the thermal block, and it was cold enough then that the protein chains would bind, and you really didn't need any extra cooling, so they would just kind of set up automatically, and a little tray would come out. You had 22 ounce shot, 22 ounce shots in it. And these little vacuum form cups that you just squeeze them into your mouth. It was uh, it was it was a fun project. We would get cases of alcohol. Um, oh, Jim Beam was kind of a, a development partner on it, so we had cases and cases of uh, alcohol and I personally probably went through two cases of bourbon just <laughs> developing this thing you'd have a big big bucket five gallon bucket that you just pour you know your uh 
your waist into. Um, it was it was pretty amazing. I, I've had a couple of projects. One, um, I built a digital breathalyzer that was like a talking breathalyzer that would shout things at you. And um, <laughs> it was a project where it got to the point where the electronics worked and I had to calibrate it to humans. And a bunch of my friends and I watched the movie Alien and uh, drank every, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, and we figured out our body weights and our, you know, uh, our uh, BAC is based upon, you know, time and weight and drinks. And I was calibrating this thing. And the next morning I woke up with the world's worst hangover and decided <laughs> to scrap the project. Uh, so likewise, essentially, I, you, two, you two were on the opposite side of this yeah. machine, right? You know, you're, you're, it, it, both are very important within the world of humanity, um, but they're kind of diametrically opposed, aren't they? Well, oh, I, I, I think they're complementary, actually. Yeah, mine was not a law enforcement breathalyzer. It was more of an oh, entertainment okay. breathalyzer. I was going to go like, dude, slow down. Yeah. Uh, I think we had a program from a YouTube video to say, ooh, he needs some milk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've also done a bunch of work on um, like brewery and canning lines and occasionally got to run uh you know canning machine and every once in a while you know you you gotta taste and spit into a bucket to make sure i was i was dealing with uh, carbonation issues and temperature issues and i don't i don't know so this this brings me to a more serious question that again has nothing to do with cameras but um i have been so sick of like products like that where you're making some sort of food particularly alcohol where you have to like taste and spit uh, sort of like at, at a certain point, the product works well enough that it's, that it's producing the thing, but then you got to test the thing and it, it gets gross. And I always want to stop at that point. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and so, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should stop talking about um, brewery and alcohol dispensing machines how did that lead you? I know, um, you know, when we met, I think you were working for HP, uh, working on some binder jet technology. Um, how, did, how did you get into designing 3D printers and 3D printer technology? Well, it's I, I've been a, a product designer for, God, almost 30 years now, uh, starting in my early 20s with uh, with JP Racing um, and more and more as my career progressed i became kind of a designer for hire if uh if you had a product that you wanted you know developed or you had an idea you wanted uh realized i was kind of your guy uh, i worked for a bunch of different big companies and what that did is it, it afforded me a ton of experience in a ton of different fields and product lines, right? So Jevo or uh, HP came calling, you know, they were looking for a manufacturing designer that had experience in low volume production, which I thought was kind of an interesting uh, job criteria. Um, and 
they needed somebody that could do big sheet metal and, you know, just had a, a really broad range of experience that uh, that their guys really didn't have. They're used to doing, you know, in the printer business, you know, you're making a million, two million units a year. And to go from that mindset to building 200 a year of something is uh, is a radical departure from the norm. So so I ended up taking the job there, and it was funny the uh, the Jello machine product was kind of kind of the job clincher on it. <laughs> uh, the guy that hired me was just amazed by the thing. He goes. Uh, hey, if you can do that, yeah, this printer should be easy. It's like, okay. <laughs> so, but it was, it, it's kind of interesting. I've actually been oh, using uh, 3D printers since the mid-90s. Um, I was uh, um, a manufacturing engineer at Allied Signal, which is now Honeywell Aerospace, and we would use, we had a, oh, two or three big uh, SLA machines, giant goo tanks, and we were building casting cores uh, for turbine engine parts, uh, honeycomb cores for different impellers and, oh, uh, combustor cases and all kinds of fun stuff. And we would send them out for prototype. You know, that's what we use for casting course for prototype. So I've, I've had a lot of experience uh, with different types of 3D printing. And, you know, being a, a design engineer, I've used a lot of 3D printing parts beginning in the mid-90s. Um, I don't think there has been a job that i've had that i haven't had things 3d printed on a regular basis whether it's fdm uh you know sls mjf which is the hp uh dmls uh which is uh the metal uh direct metal laser centering powdered metal parts um yeah i've been using it for a long time so how's that for a long-winded answer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll be a little more concise. Hey, um, I, th I think, you know, there might be some similarities that don't necessarily occur to everybody about um, Jello shop machines and CNC machines and 3D printers and film developing machines and even maybe emulsion coating machines in that, you know, to me, they're all a control board, a set of motor controllers, a set of motors and temperature controllers. And, you know, Absolutely. you're moving one thing around, you're keeping it at temperature and then you're moving it around some more. Um, and, you know, like build, building brewery equipment is no different, although much less precise from, from the things that you've worked on. But, um, yeah, have you, I don't know how to, how to, phrase this question or what question to ask to get you talking about um, sort of electromechanical systems and sort of things that you might have improved on 3D printers or uh, 3D printer technology or, or 
just um, stepper motor and stepper motor control technology and, and things that you might you know, build in the future or, or think about um, with respect to all of the physical parts of a 3D printer getting super cheap these days. Um, like I, I want to build some, some, uh, you know, hey, the, 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 components. Right. The, the reason I, I hem is that I'm, I'm more of a, oh, a mechanical designer and less of electromechanical designer. I, while, while I, worked on a lot of electromechanical systems and I, you know, created a lot of uh, architecture for them. You know, I'm not the guy that sat down, you know, with my little EEPROM burner and did the coding and firmware and all that fun stuff. Um, definitely more of a, a concept guy than an execute guy. But with that said, Having been around that, I've actually leveraged that in a bunch of different products, the, the Chevo machines. Um, I worked for a company that did wafer prober systems that were electromechanical, um, you know, very precise, big CNC machines um, with a, a lot of mechanical interposed devices, basically uh that would come down and test a wafer or test the circuit uh, while it was still on the wafer and that fun stuff. All right. So let's, I think maybe let's bring it back to cameras. Um, yeah. When we met, um, you were massively supportive and then also uh, just friendly hey, I, and interesting. Yeah. Go I, ahead. I thought your camera tactile was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I was, I was shocked at the audacity of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people were shocked at the audacity of the camera, but did not think it was so cool. <laughs> no, it was think. totally cool. Um, yeah, if they don't have vision, that's their problem. But I, I just couldn't help but to kind of reach out and you know, go, hey, this needs to move forward. I want to see one of these things. And, and thought that the... Uh, the Instagram universe needed to uh, see it as well. So I ended up uh, doing a little post about it. Yeah, it was it was the first one from somebody I didn't know. And really, uh, it, it started a lot of things. I think because of that post, Camera Craft wound up picking me up. And uh, I there was a day where I was trying to, I was like in the supermarket and my phone just kept uh, ringing about new subscribers. I felt like Kim Kardashian. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a real wild day. It was nothing that I had expected, but um, yeah, it was, it was really great. But okay, that, enough, enough about me and my stupid cameras. Um, so when, when we first met, you were kind of just starting to make some uh, 3D printed camera parts, um, not nearly sort of where you've gotten to over the last year, or at least not publicly. Um, right. And I think you were using some MJF machines, which is a multi-jet oh, fusion um, machines to make primarily, I think, backs and maybe some lens mounts. I don't think you had gotten into the lens mounts at the time for um, these, these big old Graflex SLRs, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But 
Um, sort of, how, how did you get into starting to print camera parts? Okay, so I bought a oh uh, a Graflex SLR, a big Super D uh, from a guy up in Tacoma, Washington. Um, and that kind of started the big format SLR addiction. And, you know, I'm, I'm not 23 and I wear glasses and, you know, I can't see close up anymore. <coughs> so I had an issue right off the bat focusing this thing. Um, so that kind of started me down the, the rabbit hole of 3D printing camera parts. Also, the the backs on the big Graplex SLRs use a proprietary uh, film holder, and you know they're hard to find. They're expensive, um, so I think some of the things I printed first uh, were the conversion backs for them, so I could use my standard four by five film holders, and you know, from there, I start seeing guys using the projector lenses. I thought that was interesting. And it was more of a, hey, this lens looks big and bright so I can <laughs> see what I'm focusing. <laughs> so I started buying it, buying those. And at that point, I was buying the two and a half inch diameter Buell lenses, Buell projector lenses. And I think I was paying 16, 17 bucks a piece for them. Um, they were cheap. Uh, so I started playing around with those and, you know, having parts built for me at where I was working. Uh, one of the nice place, one of the nice things about working at a, at a place that manufactures uh, 3D printers is they're always looking for jobs to print on the 3D printers. So, hey, I was more than happy to help them out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anyway, started uh, kind of started that way. It was, you know, building stuff for me to make the cameras easier to use. Um, I had uh, I had a buddy that had a oh a Fuji uh, GX680, which is the world's biggest six by nine or six by eight studio camera. And I started looking at the top viewfinder on it. The angle finder went, hey, maybe we could put this on one of these cameras. Then I'll be able to focus. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, I picked one of those up for 30, 40 bucks off eBay and uh, started designing a hood for it, uh, a mount. And that's probably about the time that I started posting on Instagram. And it it kind of caught on, uh, both negatively and positively. There's a lot of camera purists out there that really don't like it when you start taking old cameras apart and making them look like new cameras. <laughs> so but, I, I uh, think you you did a really nice job. Um, like when I I know the mod you're talking about, right? Where you where you put a prism finder on those uh, Graflex SLRs. Yeah. And you know it's not like you made hot pink grips for Leicas, right? They look a little more modern, but they also look a lot like the GX680. <laughs> they look a lot like uh, RB67. You know, yeah. they they look like classic cameras to me, and you, you did them in 
very tasteful materials. It, still, though, people were were upset about it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like that. It's like the difference between someone who is trying to recreate the antique days and makes an antique camera, uh, or I mean, an antique car versus the street rod mentality, where you you know who cares? You're just trying to make the coolest machine you can come up with, and yeah, it's they're both great ways to create new things and it doesn't well, really here, matter here's the thing i and i agree with the uh you know with the hot rod uh, analogy i kind of look at them like a resto mod if you uh mm-hmm. so but one of the things i've tried to do always on the camera mods is make them like the hot rod industry like the racing industry that i grew up in a bolt-on component, mm-hmm. right? That you buy the product, take the old part off, put the new part on. And down the road, if you want to put the camera back to original condition, hey, everything just screws back onto it. So I've, I've, I've been pretty good about maintaining the integrity of the camera, um, which, I don't know, gets me a little bit. You know, oh, no, it makes for, a lot of sense. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, where I grew up, the, people were still driving their Model A's and Model T's around, but they had turned them essentially into tractors. They they <laughs> called them doodle bugs. This is New Hampshire. And, you know, there wasn't much left of the original except maybe the frame and the engine. Um, right. But those things would have all been piles of rust long ago if they hadn't, you know, had a new life. And, uh, and as oh, you exactly. say, restorers can now still, like, get those parts uh, whereas they would have been long gone if they hadn't been used. Yeah, and it, I actually do get a lot of comments and feedback from people, you know, appreciative that I've, you know, I'm making parts for these cameras and giving them the ability to actually take these cameras off the shelf and go and shoot them. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, that's what we want to do, you know, um, or at least what I want to do. I I want to make cameras for t- photographers. I don't really want to make cameras for collectors. Mm-hmm. You know, these things should get out there and get used. Um, if they if they sit on your shelf, they're just gonna get dried out, and you know, it, it's just a, a waste of a really cool camera. And I think anybody out there that has an old camera, regardless of what it is you know, should put some film in and go shoot the thing. Yep. And I'd like to hear more about that. Like what the experience is like, because I've never actually used one of your uh, giant SLRs. In fact, I've never used any of the Graflex SLRs. I've played with them, a small one, but I, I don't, I've used almost entirely press cameras and I'm really intrigued. I'm wondering if you could describe the difference of, of using them. It's funny, I have, uh, my first large format camera was a Graflex, uh, an early Crown, Crown Graphic, uh, 4x5 press camera. Uh, The Graflex press cameras, you know, were used from the 20s, really through the 70s, um, and probably took the majority of 
photographs for newspapers and magazines throughout that that time period. I mean, it was the camera. If you see an iconic photograph from the 40s, 50s, 60s, it's probably taken on a Graflex press camera. Um, so having shot the press cameras, I wanted something that was, oh, that, that I could just focus and shoot. I wanted an SLR. Um, so I ended up, you know, like I said, coming across one of these. And the experience is, it's more, God, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, so are you it, handling, it, are you handling it something like a twin lens reflex? Uh, sort of like holding it, looking down into it and, and, absolutely yeah to, so we're using with, your whole, whole body to steady it that kind yeah, of yeah it's 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 more intimate especially when you're looking down the leather hood um you know the rest of the outside world kind of goes away and all your all your focus is on the view screen at that point on the ground glass mm-hmm. and you know, you're bringing it into focus, and finally, when you let the shutter go, there's a really satisfying clunk and as the shutter rolls. Um, it's it's pretty wild, all in all. And and these cameras are big. Um, I think a four by five Super D is eight pounds, nine pounds. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are not for the meek. Uh, even though but my I, my middle daughter I, 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 takes my four by five out and she's ten, so nice. I, I kind of feel like though. Um, I, okay, so uh, to let everybody know, in about a month ago, I got one of these at an antique store, or sorry, not an antique store, a thrift store, and I have yet to actually shoot it. I've yet to do anything with it other than put it in the closet and think about it. Um, but I've, I have a feeling this is a, a, a four by five camera you can take around and shoot handheld and reasonably handheld. Um, what's the uh, uh, the fastest shutter speed on this particular one is one one thousandth. Um, so you're in the you're you have an ability to walk around with a four by five and um shoot in an SLR situation uh, a a four by five image handheld, which oh, is incredible. Absolutely. I mean do yeah, do you shoot yours handheld very often? I do. Um, I I shoot mainly a, a smaller version of it though. I shoot a uh, a three and a quarter four and a quarter camera. Uh, that I've yeah, converted and that's with. the same version that I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I only shoot that camera handheld. Uh, I don't think I've ever put it on a tripod. It, it, even with the angle finder on it, uh, I have a Linhoff grip on the left hand side that also has a shutter release on it. Um, you know, it, it's probably eight pounds, nine pounds. Um, It'll definitely give you a Popeye forearms, but it's not unmanageable. Uh, the focus is quick on it. Um, and I tell you what, it allows you access 
to a lot of things that you wouldn't have access to normally. You have one of these big bad cameras in your hand and, you know, you ask somebody if you can take their picture or you want to get into a venue or whatever it is. I think I managed to talk my way into the IndyCar races on a Thursday during closed practice, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it opens a lot of doors for you as well. But yeah, I only shoot that camera handheld. The big 4x5 I have is more of a studio camera. Um, it's 13 pounds of fun. And <laughs> it it gets a little tedious carrying that thing around. And sure. You know, even with the strap around your neck, you know, it it's like carrying a bowling ball around. Yeah. I, I'm pretty comfortable <laughs> using the, the press cameras and similar cameras for a lot of general handheld shooting. And I think where your SLRs seem like they would really stand out is with uh, len- with more like lenses that are going to have a, a very narrow depth of field where that, that um, precision focus at last minute would be really useful. Oh, so, absolutely. for instance, you know, shooting wide open or big large format lenses that just don't have much depth um you know long focal lengths that that would be i think where that would really shine and yeah they they do now the the camera grambot is a uh is a graphlex three and a quarter four and a quarter series b um what lens is on that does that have the bausch bausch and lom lens or yeah i believe so here hang on a second Sorry, I have to switch switch my glasses so that I can actually read this. Um, no, it has a Kodak at Anastigmatic. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and it is a 4.5 and uh, aperture, and it looks like it is six and three quarters inch yeah. lens. Yeah, is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's 152 millimeters, I think. Oh, but, well, idea. So, so that lens is is really tack sharp. Um, I've I've shot that lens. I've shot that camera basically, um, and was amazed at how, how, just how crisp everything was and how tack sharp. And it's kind of nice, like your press cameras you can kind of zone focus them. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're running at F16 on a bright sunny day, you know, you're focused out to 10 15 feet. Um you know, you can be close on the focus at that point. Doesn't have to be perfect right. cuz you're going to have 2 feet on either side of the subject. Um it's how I I shoot my press cam as well. Um I I really rarely use the rangefinder. Um I just kind of get it in the ballpark. Works well. Um anyway, so so that camera is a great camera and that lens will work great. It'll allow you to kind of zone focus it. But when you get back to where I was going with this is the the projector lenses that I use um you know, you have oh a depth of field 
when you're close to something in a portrait mode of maybe a half inch, <laughs> three eighths uh-huh. of an inch, um, it's uh, it's a little more important to be able to nail the focus on it. So you have an aperture on that of a, what, about 2.5, somewhere in there, 2.8? Uh, 2.5 to 2.9, uh, okay. 3.2, somewhere around there, depending on the lens. Um, and I almost think sometimes that the 2.5 is almost too much. Um, I think it runs better at about four. So I built uh, uh-huh. like a, a water house uh, lens cap, basically a lens cap with uh, with an opening in it that'll, that'll choke it down to about 4.0. And that still gives you great bokeh. And... Uh-huh. But makes the camera there, a little more manageable. Is there no aperture uh, control on that projector lens? No, no, it's a barrel lens. It's wide open. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, it makes it a little tougher. Even even though if you're running an Arrow Ektar um, at 2.5, uh, the the focus is is crazy shallow as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I've that. Yep, go on. Question. Um, so you mentioned a little bit earlier that you like um, sort of the SLR style of shooting where you stick your head in the thing uh, and that's all you see, right? Like like it blocks out the rest of the world. Um, I know Nick and I, maybe Graham too, are a little bit of a, like rangefinder fetishists. Um, and, <laughs> and part of what I like about uh, using rangefinders is keeping my eye, my other eye open to the world, you know, and not sort of, uh, being consumed by the camera. Certainly I have love for many SLRs, but, um, in general, I'm, you know, trying to work on, on cameras, um, even with non-optical viewfinders, just hoop sites so that it doesn't block out the rest of the world. And that certainly means that I can't shoot things, you know, wide open at f2 a lot of the times if if I'm doing stuff like that. Um, you know, I I follow your personal account as well and and see um, a lot of the work that you do is portraiture and or <laughs> trying to track speedway cars as they race past <laughs> in super shallow depth of field. Um, I wonder if you, I mean, besides shooting press cameras or are you at all interested in sort of, I don't want to say street photography particularly, but, but also, you know, do you have any use for rangefinder style cameras or, or you're just totally done with that? (laughs) It's it's SLR time a hundred percent of the time. No, I, I tell you what, um, I, I still use my press camera. Um, if, if I'm going to go out, uh, Oh, shooting street photography or you know uh, the politics can be fairly radical in portland believe it or not uh in uh in in very positive ways Uh, but we've had some rather raucous protests with riot police and tear gas and all kinds of fun stuff and uh i've shot maybe a hundred images one day with my press camera. It, it is really designed to do that thing 
that to use in that environment. I, I think if you were to use an SLR, uh, especially a big SLR, I I think you're you'd be too dis too detached from your surroundings, uh, which could potentially be a bad thing. <laughs> In that case, I want to use the sport finder on my press camera and keep both eyes open. I remember when you put up that series of photos and uh, I one thought I think you posted a picture of a bag full of uh, graphmatic holders. uh, Yes. And and then the photos started coming out. I was amazed. Uh, One, you know, what what you had shot and two, that you had managed to shoot so much so quickly, um, you know, in a way that. Maybe I would have gotten off three frames all day, uh, not for not for reasons that I'm a completely considered shooter. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to manipulate those cameras quickly. Or well, for that's, me. A, that's a nice thing about the uh, the Graphmatic cassettes. I, you know, I'll load up eight or nine of them and you actually have to pace yourself. You can I mean, I can shoot three, four frames a minute uh, with a Graphmatic and a press camera. Um, you can crank through film. They're almost film wasters sometimes, which is really counterintuitive to uh, to shooting large format. You know, you don't have to pull the dark slide out, put the dark slide back in, turn the cassette, you know, turn the film holder over, do the same thing. These go on the back of the camera. You have six sheets of film. And it's as fast as you can rack the back of it. You know, it'll it'll slide out. The a mechanism slides out of the graphmatic. A sheet of film pops up. You slide it back. That film's ready to go. When you do it again, that that sheet of film drops back. Another one pops up. So you can uh, you can burn through film on it, big time. So, so I kind of go the other way. I have, um, I have one of your uh, conversion backs on a three and a quarter by four and a quarter uh, speed graphic that gives me the four by five back, so I can use all my roll film backs on it. Right. And then you have a huge range of emulsions available. And what's kind of nice about that medium size Graflex, not the smallest and not the four by five giant. That medium size is great because it's big enough to handle a decent sized lens, but it's definitely smaller and lighter and handier than the four by five. So it's actually, it really is much more useful than you think at first when you look at it, Um, especially with roll film. But, and as you pointed out, you can just put four by five film holder on there and shoot four by five film, which is available in a lot of emulsions and it just crops it for you. You know, it's no big deal. Um, So that seems like a super, useful kind of sweet spot i guess those cameras are com- more common and cheaper in a way because nobody really understands they can use them uh, no exactly and and yeah. i think the you know three and a quarter four and a quarter was was an incredibly popular format back in the day um i know there's way more three and a quarter four and a quarter slrs built you know, than than the four by fives, uh, probably by double at least. And I think the the smaller press cameras they built a ton of, and they're reasonable. I mean, they're a hundred hundred fifty dollar camera. It's got a it's got a great lens on it. The 
Oh, the 127 millimeter Kodak Ektar lens uh, that they ran on the three and a quarter, four and a quarter. They also put it on the four by five. I think is one of the best press camera lenses out there. Um, it's phenomenal. And is that is that one of the uh, like Optar type lenses? Who, who made that lens? Anastig. No, yeah, it's uh, a Kodak. Kodak, uh, one of their Ektar lenses. Right, so it was made uh, in Rochester, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fantastic lens. Um, mm-hmm. I have a couple of the three and a quarter, four and a quarter cameras and uh, press cameras, and that's the lens that it that came on it, as well as the first Crown Graphic four by five I purchased had the 127 millimeter Ektar on it. Yeah, I'm I'm using uh, I, I'm using a Crown Graphic too, and one of the reasons that I really like the the slightly smaller speed graphic is it's just the right size. You know, it's yeah, it's as big as you want to use really for a lot of things, and it, it, it's super useful. But I have a, the other thing that um, strikes me about it is that you really can't use it handheld very easily with any of the slower lenses that that I often use. And that's where your SLR seems like an interesting idea. And I wonder, have you tried the other way of dealing with this? So instead of starting with an SLR camera, have you tried putting one of those reflex viewers on the back of, on the ground glass on the back of a press camera? I have. Um, here's the thing. You can, you can put a reflex viewer on it it still needs to be on a tripod at that point. Right. Uh, you got to change the film holder out before you shoot. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, you're better off using the sport finder um, or, or the range finder on the camera at that right. point. Right. So, okay. Maybe this is a good time. We've been talking a lot about Jeff's uh, camera mods and Jeff and I have done some internet hanging out, and he's showed me, oh, a lot of things, uh, public and private, um, that <laughs> he's been designing. And w- one of the things that I was amazed, um, so sometimes I will make a model of, like, the base of a camera in order to model a camera grip for it. But um, Jeff has modeled kind of everything involved in this system, and... Uh, I think initially just to start printing parts that fit, right? Correct. Uh, but but Jeff, you're working on on some full cameras that I am super excited about. I think like watching over the last year as you've gone from sort of a tangential enthusiast to like a real <laughs> kind of like camera designing powerhouse. Like it's it's <laughs> quit been great. my real job. Yeah. Um, what. What uh, what what can you tell us about uh, some of the the full camera first you know models that you've been making for the purpose of you know modeling little clips and grips and things around the camera and then maybe some of the full cameras that you might put out this year. Right on. Well, I I basically put the entire uh, I modeled an entire three by four Graflex SLR and a four by five Graflex SLR <laughs> in uh, SolidWorks. So I have a 3D master model of these cameras 
so anytime I want to build something, I can just pull up the master model and add the part to it. Uh, it, it makes development super quick, super easy at that point. Um, and it was it was an evolutionary process. I you know I would build like you were saying. I, I would build this part of the camera body and then this. And finally, I just said, hell, I'm going to just build the whole thing. Um, and as I said that, I went, you know, I could probably build one of these cameras from scratch. Um, and I, I think that's going to happen in 2020. Um, I think there will be oh, a three by four. Um, that shoots uh, three by four size SLR, right? A little smaller. A tiny uh, SLR by your standards. Right, right. A seven pounder yeah. um, <laughs> that uh, that shoots four by five film, as well as some big five by seven SLRs. Um, there's a market out there for. Uh, portrait shooters and wet plate guys. Um, and, and really I, I started shooting five by seven a while ago and I've kind of fallen in love with the format. And if you're shooting film, it's not that much more expensive than four by five. Um, I think I pay around 40 bucks for 25 sheets of Ilford FP four, four by five. I think I paid $47 for the same thing in five by seven. Right. So fairly reasonable in the grand scheme of large format. It's damn cheap. Right. Uh, so I, I think we'll see towards the end of 2020, uh, these cameras uh, start to come out. I really was curious. So, um, I know, Jeff, you and I have talked about this and how you have sort of bent over backwards in much of your camera mods, particularly for um, the 4x5 and 3 and a quarter by 4 and a quarter SLRs to be non-destructive, right? to build pieces into your cameras or, or into existing cameras such that, you know, you don't have to, let's say, saw the back off or uh, fill an area with epoxy or whatnot drill um, extra holes or anything like that yeah yeah and and so i know once we were talking and i said like jeff why don't you build the whole damn thing from scratch you probably can and you were like let me let me show you the solidworks model um <laughs> what are what are the types of things that you think you can do so if you're building a camera from scratch um you have now almost a hundred years more uh, engineering and photographic knowledge than people did when they were building these cameras originally, you know? Um, what are some of the things that you might add or change in your cameras where you can, you know, from the ground up, start from scratch and build, you know, a better camera? Um, what might be different than the original cameras? Well, I, I think, one of the main differences is the shutter assembly. The, uh, the speed graphics, as well as the uh, big Graflex SLRs, uh, use a rolling focal plane shutter 
It's about five feet long. It has a series of different uh, height apertures in this. Uh, yeah, there's know, there's slots about, running from yeah, one side of the frame to the other, and then if they're taller, it's a longer exposure. Apart. Yeah, right. they go from five inches tall. I think the next one is uh, inch and a half, then three quarters, three eighths, and one eighth. And depending on which of the slots, these aperture slots you have uh, set up, um, it'll it'll wipe down the film plane, basically exposing that little bit of information as it goes down uh, the length of the film. <clears throat> the, it's not a bad thing. You know, back in the day, you could flash sync with it because you were using, you know, flash bulbs, which had a super long duration and uh, were like a small nuclear weapon going off when, <laughs> when they flash incredibly freaking bright. That's one, uh, one of the reasons the long lenses made sense back then is you couldn't be too close to someone with a flash like that. Totally. <laughs> Especially, God, the... Big Edison, what are those Edison number ones? Or, you know, it's, it's like it looks like a 60 watt light bulb, but um, it explodes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, incredible. Um, so the, the inability to flash sync with those cameras, other than doing what's known as a drop shutter, uh, to where you start with the, the shutter curtain open when you release the shutter, the mirror pops up, and then the shutter curtain drops. Um, you know, it's 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 definitely not going to stop motion. <laughs> okay. So um, I think the what we're going to see in these cameras is a single aperture shutter arrangement that works more like a, a modern camera. Uh, so you'll be able to really flash sync this thing at any speed, and it'll it'll have speeds at least up to one one thousandths of a second, and could potentially be faster. So that's that's yet to be seen at this point, but uh, initial experiments are great. Um, it's it's pretty novel. I have one running in uh, three by four. SLR now I've had it in there for about four or five months now and it's cool I I have a modern flash on it and uh, it'll flash sync at about 1 60th of a second which is fantastic for a uh, a large format camera yeah I have some <laughs> I medium think. format cameras that won't do that yeah yeah mm -hmm. so 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 yeah the the big improvement I think would be uh, shutter technology. Um, everything else on the on the Graflex cameras, for the most part, is is really thoughtfully executed. And you know that camera started. I think they started making those in about 1908. Um, yeah, so that's the first. Yeah, uh, on the bottom line, it has the the patent dates. And I was trying to figure out when it was um, uh, when this one was made, and the patent dates 
start in 1908 and they go all the way up to 1913. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really modern version. <laughs> well, th- think about all the uh, all of the development insight they have over the length of over that length of production, right? Sure. Uh, the early uh, the earlier SLRs like the Auto and oh, some of the Series Bs, um, the the mirror was really big and clunky in them, and you know slowly but surely they they made incremental improvement to where you get to you know kind of the the zenith of their production, which was the Super D, which came out for the most part in 1947, even though there's people yelling at their their listening device right now because I, I think they actually started making them in 1941, but there was this little thing called World War II that kind of uh, stopped the manufacturing of frivolous things like big SLR cameras. So... <laughs> They picked back up in 47. And then that camera was built until, I think, 1973, which, you know, <laughs> goes to show you that the design was pretty damn solid from the yeah, get overlap, Overlapping with the Nikon F. Yes. Oh, completely. It, almost up to the next. I think that, doesn't that make it to F2? Maybe. Yeah. My, it, my photo that, I mean, that spans, on, like... Yeah, I mean, everybody, well, the SLRs were starting to really be, you know, kind of at their, the old mechanical ones were getting to their peak by the 70s. So there was a good, pretty good overlap there. Yeah. yeah, and, and rumor has that the shutter might be really similar to uh, a Nikon F, just, you know. <laughs> it is really similar. <laughs> yeah. um, just a hell of a lot bigger. Hey, so... You know, we, we were talking about your shutter mods, which are you know, huge uh, changes and improvements. But I, I know you really love the ergonomics of these cameras. There's a couple of, you know, smaller tweaks that we've talked about, you know, maybe changing mirror shape or placement to be able to fit uh, different lenses. Um, and I, I'm sort of curious about that. I'm curious if you might change the finders or, or sort of, add um, your own finders to these cameras or what, what are you thinking Jeff? Well I I think that they will have my own version of the GX680 finder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your own version is going to be amazing because you can make it big. <laughs> well in, and I can make it integral. I can make right. it look like a complete thought rather than something that was added to the camera. Um, and potentially that that there'll be a couple options. Uh, there are people out there that that really like the waist level finders, um, mm-hmm. even yeah, I though I, I find all they do is accentuate my double chins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of people out there that like them. So, Actually, I, I would think that you, if you bury your face in one of those, it will hide your double chin. <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. Now, um, I see you, you're talking about the person you point the camera at. It's the yeah, low, the, the low vantage point. Uh, yeah, the but, subject. But for a, 
There's a lot of things where that lower vantage point is great, though. And, uh, I mean, you know, the whole TLR, part of the, the beauty of those shots is that they were typically done from two or three feet lower. And there's exactly. it, it's near the center of someone's body, so you don't have the giant head little feet effect that you get with the, with the camera you hold up to your eye. Totally. Totally agree. Um, Nick brings up TLRs. Is, is that something that you might be interested in making? I know we have talked at length about Peter Gowland and the Gowland Flex and the Gowland 4x5 at TLRs. Yeah, um, uh, yeah are, are we going to see any dual Buell cameras coming out? I, I think we might see a dual Buell. I think yeah. we might see it in a couple formats. Um, at least uh, 4x4 square, mm-hmm. right? Uh, 100 millimeter square format. Um Using uh, the two and a half inch body Buells, uh, a 200 millimeter uh, f 3.2, uh, which is one of, believe it or not, one of my favorite Buell lenses. I, it's it's a workhorse and it's it's versatile, right? It works great for portraits, you know, because it's got a little better depth of field. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I think we we might see one of these um as an homage to uh to peter gallon who was uh oh kind of an unsung innovator in the camera world uh i i i highly recommend you know folks listening to a google search uh this guy was incredible um he would have definitely fit well around this table so he was uh, he was kind of the archetype for the homemade camera builder. Yeah, but with the very high standards. Well, I guess you have those too. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. So, uh, an- another thing that pops into my mind with the giant twin lens reflexes, it might it might be a really cool way to make a medium format panoramic camera. You know, they're they're typically so big that they just are made as viewfinder cameras um, but it would be really interesting to make, make it either even bigger twi- either, well either a twin lens version or or an slr version where you you're actually looking through the uh, either through the lens or at least the direct focus of a twin lens it, it would be interesting and it, it could be a cool shape because you wouldn't need the uh, you know you wouldn't need it to be as tall proportionately yeah yeah totally um you know, it's funny. I did a uh, a large format twin lens camera oh, about 15 years ago, and I found that you could actually use it as a stereo camera as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, there! Yeah, just turn the thing on its side. Put two sheets of film in. <sighs> I that love stereo like- cameras. I'm I, I, I'm. Uh, I've got a vague thing in my brain about making a uh, stereo six by six lensed. Uh, We're gonna have to setup, do a whole but... stereo episode yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah. Wow! So I you, love stereo. yeah, there'd be all really interesting combinations. Well, here's another one for you for street photography with large format. I suggest you make a camera that looks just like an accordion and takes a picture out the right side. Um, <laughs> Oh right! You could just. I, I, I remember put, seeing those in the backs of uh, in the backs of magazines. Those um, uh, trick lenses you, that uh, you could buy. I, I, I'm not a, 
I'm not surprised, Nick, that that that's one that that you remember really well. <laughs> I, 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 I have heard one of this those. thing. It's it's a series of beam splitters, right? So you take uh, two images on one frame. The problem oh, is okay. it has a non not adjustable interocular distance, which is really small. So it's like pretty good for like macro stuff, but it also, you know, kind of is a little too long for portraiture. It's really terrible. I I had one of these and eventually gave it up and built a whole rig, which I'm not going to get into <laughs> now. But yeah, uh, maybe maybe we'll do like ten episodes on stereography. I once gave a lecture uh, in New Orleans on stereography and realized. The only thing more embarrassing than nobody showing up to your lecture is when one person shows up to your lecture in a hall that seats a hundred. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've had the two people, so I guess I'm a, twice as popular as you are. So Jeff, we've got uh, these cameras, these the, these cameras that are not uh, medium format. They're large format, and one of the problems with large format is that I have to develop large format. And I, you know, so how how would I develop say five by seven, which is not only large format, but it's that it's the odd, it's the it's the stepchild of of large format sizes. Um, so how would I do a five by seven, uh, development on something like that? Well, it's funny you should ask. I actually know a guy <laughs> that, that makes these film reels that allow you to develop sheet film in a Patterson tank from two by three all the way up to 12 by five. Wait, that's just wow. ridiculous. Okay. Okay. So, so. So you're going to have to let me know who that is. Uh, that'd be 20th century camera, which oh. uh, would uh, <laughs> potentially be me in a less than humble way. <laughs> I think it's Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so Chad or Rad? It is Chad. So the point of this it, is that you can, you can do multiple sheets simultaneously and you don't need a full size dark room, you know, to, with trays and all that stuff and, well, and in, pitch darkness, you know, to work in. That's exactly it. it it's right. a daylight system using existing hardware. Um, you know, there are other reels that are designed to be used with the Patterson tanks that use six, you know, that accept six sheets of film. Um, but it's only four by five. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there that shoot a lot of different formats other than four by five. Um, yeah, there's two and a quarter, three and a quarter uh, sheet film. There's three by four sheet film, six by nine. You can get in sheets uh, nine by 12, four by five, five by seven, eight by 10. Uh, there's quite a few different formats out there. And, you know, there was really only one, well, maybe two options. There's a, there's Jobo made a, a four, makes a four by five as well, but that's a, that's a whole, whole nother animal. 
<clears throat> anyway, I'd been a longtime user of the of oh, the Patterson tanks and uh, oh, for doing 120 film. And yeah, and the thing is, there's tons and tons of them out there. Oh, and, yeah. And then the, the reels are the only thing that goes bad on them. And so then you've got all these tanks available and there's just no point in, you know, using up new plastic to make new tanks when they're already all over the place. Well, uh, especially if you already have it in your arsenal, right? It's something right. you have laying around. I don't um, know anybody who doesn't have a Patterson tank. I know, like, or two yeah. or three. Yeah. So basically what I did, I, I had been uh, developing four by five in daylight tanks. And, you know, the the results are super inconsistent because of your inability to agitate them properly. Um, I would get air bubbles stuck to the surface of the film. Oh, you so know, you mean so you were just shoving you were just shoving the, the film into a tank without a without being in a reel? Is that is that what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Uh, so. So to develop four by five or develop sheet film. You know, historically, you've either done it in a dark room in trays, right, um, or in a tank for the most part. And sure, there's exceptions to this. Um, Kodak made a, I think it was an eight-sheet holder that you kind of tacoed the film. <laughs> you kind of folded yeah. it along the long axis. They fit into this little metal cage. It's actually kind of a cool deal. Um but try to find one. Anyway, so for the most part, you had a rectangular tank that held um, oh, 12 sheets of film. I think for the most part, I think that's what the FR mm -hmm. and the Yankee tanks. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got an old one that uses the stainless steel 4x5 hangers. So oh, for like, like dip and dunk? Yeah, the old style. Um, and you, it, does, it isn't really daylight. I mean, there's a cover, but it, I don't think it's light type. No, no, they're not. Th those are dark room. That's dip and dunk, and yeah. it's a great way to go about it as well. But if you, you have need, a dark room, at hand. if you have a dark room, um, you know. So if you're, uh, you know, just regular folk, you live in an apartment, you have a small house. I mean, uh, there's a lot of us out there, including myself, that use a spare bathroom as a dark room. Um, the the tanks are super convenient um, and at this point um, oh, with the amount of formats that I cover um, there's really nothing you can't develop in a Patterson tank at this point um, I do a eight by ten uh, two sheet reel that sells almost as many as the four by five reels. So which, um, which Patterson tank does that work with? It works in a five sheet tank. It's the next size up. It's the PTP. Five reel tank, yeah. Five reel. What did I say? Not five sheet. reel. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> five Let's reel speak. tank. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It runs in the five reel tank. I think that Patterson part number is PTP dash one, one seven. And it requires um, uh, about 1,500 milliliters of chemistry. 
So probably not, you know, great for doing mm-hmm. color, right? But for doing black and white, and if you're using Rodinol or HC10 uh, or HC110, um, you know, one shot, it's great. You know, it's high dilution. Uh, it's really not going to cost you anything uh, or much to develop your 8x10. And uh, it does a really nice job. And ultimately, if you're shooting 8x10, chemistry is probably your your least, you know, yeah. is, uh, cost driver. It's your smallest cost driver on it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it, well, it be, sounds uh, like it'd be good for paper negatives, too. You, you know, I've had a couple people ask about it and uh, oh, you can't I expect, though. That's the only thing. Yeah. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe uh, Matt Marash uh, from the Film Photography Project is has potentially experimented at this point with uh, with doing uh, paper paper negs in it. Yeah, that'd be interesting. If all all you have to do is figure out your times. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. I I shoot paper nags uh, and don't develop. I develop to completion. I don't develop by inspection. There you uh, go. Often, and that's often like really important when I'm doing reversal prints. Is that everything is consistent in the first step, and so you know rotary or drum or tank processing is is useful. Hey, hey Jeff, do you have um, cores or core adapters? You mentioned it's you know not necessarily the easiest thing to process color with 1500 milliliters of you know, stand chemistry. Do you have cores that might adapt these to like a Jobo tank? Uh, I don't at this point. And the Jobos, uh, at least the 2500 series tanks, they're they're require a big fat core to keep the yeah down exactly by the edge. yeah exactly and that's the problem the uh uh the ql series reels are oh i i think they're 93 millimeters which is like okay. 3.6 inches like three and five eighths in diameter and the jobo tanks are over six i think we might we might wind up seeing some super secret projects from you in the future to help. Well, I, I, I did <laughs> a uh, I did a eight by ten reel for the Jobo twenty five fifty tanks, uh-huh. um, and I did a short run of them, and I they were super easy to load. They did a good job, uh, but ultimately I, I wasn't really happy with them, and they need. They're back in the queue for, you know, another spin of the design. Um, so I sold my first run. I think I built 10 or 15 of them, and they sold really quick, but I haven't restocked. Um, yeah. I took uh, a lot of user feedback, and we'll make a better product. And, and mainly, it needs to hold more sheets uh-huh. <laughs> is what's going on. Uh, so two sheets. I'm going to bring this back to the Jello shot machine and and ask you a question. So I have ten open prototypes, maybe twelve in my shop right now, and I yeah. feel like it's really exciting to get to the point of the first working prototype, and then all of the little, you know, like it. I might get to the first working prototype in a month, and then spend six months, you know, dallying about the last 
you know, because you have to go use the thing and get feedback from people. It's a total 80-20 rule. Uh, rule. Yeah. Do you, do you also, even when you don't have to uh, drink a lot of Jim Beam to test the thing, do you also prefer that initial part of the design process? or Oh, do you, oh a- absolutely. Do you the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the fun part. You know, it's the conceptual and getting it in the computer, throwing it on the printer, see what you get, see if it fits. And then once you get your user feedback and you've played with a little bit, then you go, oh, God, i got to make a real product out of this now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, and it really takes more time, I think, than the actual initial development. Um, you know, I that's why I said, you know, the 80-20 rule, you know, the last 20% takes 80% of the time. I agree. Okay, so back to reels. Uh, in the conceptualization and, and like, the sort of birth of, of the 20th century camera reels, um, I think you did something really neat, which is, so I have a Daylight Tank for 4x5 that I use. I have some other products that I use, but, you know, I've, I've spent way more time with my hands in a bag than most humans. Um, and still loading, <laughs> loading. Hopefully my, no uh, ferrets in those bags, right? <laughs> once in a while, a weasel. Um, no, but uh, loading four by five sheets has traditionally, even for me, been kind of murder. And I wind up ruining maybe 5% of the sheets I, I put in for they, they, you know, wind up, doubling up a sheet or, or kinking a sheet or, you know, So you're fishing them out of a box and trying to shove them into some sort of holder? Is that yeah. What it's usually yeah. a slot, and they are really easy to double up on. I've, I've but your reels it. have, like, huge, uh, huge slots. You really, like, you can load them in, like, a second. Um, and I, I think it has, like, this one really, I don't want to say stupid, but, like, it's like stupidly simple uh, innovation that, that you made that I, I think is is pretty cool. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that process of of you know the, the adding the middle finger to to your reels? <laughs> I will tell you about my middle finger. <laughs> so what what I actually did first um, when I when I wanted to design a reel, I designed a like a cup uh, that the that you loaded from the top that would hold six sheets, mm-hmm. um, and you'd use it in a rotary processor or tank. Um, and I found that the oh that this spiraled cup basically. Um, Oh, it imparted a lot of artifacts on the negative. Uh, there was undeveloped spots. You could see flow lines uh, where the chemistry flowed through it. Um, it was problematic. So mm-hmm. uh, what I ended up doing was in in CAD, I cut the bottom off and then mirrored the bottom, right? So that gave me mm-hmm. the... Uh, the spiral top and bottom and put it on a hub and slid a sheet of film and went, this is great, but it falls out. (laughs) You know, there's nothing to hold the center. So I did another Mm -hmm. slice of, of that profile 
and that gave me the center retainer. And what it is is a oh God, I mean Here, yeah. a, a spiral. I, I think I can it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think I can describe it. Okay, think of uh, there's a spiral at the top and a spiral at, your bo- at the bottom, and you thread your film through that spiral, and there are six of them, six slots, six spirals, um, and, you know, concentric in on each other. And then there's one in the center to keep each sheet of film straight, so vertically top to bottom. There's one at the bottom, there's one at the top, and then in the middle, there's a spiral in the center, and that keeps that sheet from bowing out, you know, if you agitate exactly. too too much. I'd, I'd this, like to uh, this film is never gonna leave that spot. And I'd, li- I'd like to the, interject because the listeners are okay. picturing spirals and you guys are actually describing a shape that I would call a starfish that's being twirled. Yep. So each <laughs> okay. sheet of each sheet of okay. film is going into in a slot that is in the shape of an arc. And all the arcs meet at the center core. Bubble gum. That is is a big... Oh, never mind. Yes. I I think that that actually... That clarification actually does help quite a bit. I agree. One of the things, though, that I think is the absolute coup de grace on this is the fact that at the end of that middle spiral, at the, the furthest out part of the middle spiral, has a little spur on it. That when you put the piece of film in, it keeps the piece of film in. Oh, um, you can hear it and, click in too. There, right. there is both tactile and audio feedback. Right. When you I, put that sheet of film in, it actually clicks. Yes. When you when it locks in, and they auto eject. <laughs> I, I, I really know. love like the little. The little things you wouldn't necessarily notice, you know, unless one, you design products and two, you use reels like this all the damn time, too much frustration. I think, uh, man, having it click in and having those middle fingers or starfish or spirals, whatever we want to call them, um, it's, it's really subtle, but it, it makes like a huge user difference to me in that, you know, traditionally reels wouldn't have that middle piece and that means that you know the slots have to be super thin to hold the the exactly. film in place which just just by like i don't know a couple little tweaks to the design which maybe you came by accidentally uh, and i just figured was um you know your your uh, preemptive genius <laughs> but but it makes it like uh, a child could load it without any prior practice which mm-hmm. is well, i think it, it, the, the rarest thing in that format well it's it's funny it was again i'm looking for some, i'm looking to build something that you know is easy right um I, i'm not a fan of fiddly i've developed a lot of product and you know, there's nothing worse when you when you buy something and you get it home and you go, you know, if the guy just would have done this, this would have been thousand times easier to use. Oh, man, uh, it's, it's the thing that I dread the most <laughs> when I put out the Bronco pan is that, you know, I put six six months worth of work into something. But like you give it to 700, 800 people in a month, they're going to have a million little <laughs> weeks that they're oh, totally right. 
you know, either mad at me about or suggesting, but um, so goes the nature of it. But I think you did a super good job on this one. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, ultimately, I built it from myself, and I'm a pretty harsh critic. And it, it it's really evolved over the last year and a half. Um, and that center retainer with the little clip on the end of it, that is actually the challenging part. Um, you got to be able to do that without, uh, a scratching the film, right? Mm -hmm. It needs to be robust so it won't break off. Um, and it can't impart, uh, flow lines or, uh, uneven develop marks on it, uh, on Mm -hmm. your negative. And So, so it has to be a very subtle shape. It does, and the the shape of it, the contour, the profile of it has to be, there's a specific pattern to it that oh, facilitates uh, the fluid, uh, the chemistry flowing around it, um, and also so it makes really minimal contact with your negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, when I first started making these and, you know, I, I sent quite a few to different people for evaluations. Um, you know, their their first response was, oh, the center thing's going to break and it's going to scratch my film. <laughs> it's like, no, mm-hmm. why don't you use it and give it a try? Well, I just know, you know, this is going <laughs> to so. No, trust me, it won't scratch your film. Arm well, that, engineering that, that, actually, that actually clar- that clarifies the name because you know something called a middle finger reel sounds like a Scottish dance tune. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but now so, we see that it's actually about your early critiques. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, there was like a couple folks um, that have podcasts and. You know, or, or big in, you know, reviewing film stuff. That the flat would not use them. Said no, I this wow. is gonna scratch my film. And you know, what do you say? <laughs> you know, no, well, here's try what, it. You go out, like it, try it. And here's here's what I, what I say is if you're using four by five film. You have a stock of cheap four by five film somewhere, whatever it is you have, you have your throwaway four by five film. Yeah. But so why not just do one sheet? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Anyway, well, I guess that's their loss, right? Otherwise they'd be using it today. People, people will come around. I think this is, you know, business wise, um, a way better product, you know, than any of the cameras that I make. Or any of the cameras that Jeff makes, it's like it's something that everybody uses. And I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't uh, seen your numbers, Jeff, but I think people are picking them up. It's getting adopted uh, pretty widely, and you know, they I, are... I assume that the more people use them, the more friends of those people will want them. And uh, yeah. oh, exactly. And I, I recently got an order from a company and I'm actually private labeling some. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, um, with, so they'll have, 
this company's logo actually printed on the uh, on the end of the film reel. Um, yeah, pretty cool. I'm, I'm sure when you yeah. see them, you will recognize them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty unique. They look like yeah. a swirling hey, starfish. I've, I've, right. uh, uh, I have a quick question about the production on those. Um, is that uh, PLA or is it ABS plastic? Because there's a little bit of give to it. Um, a little it, bit more flexibility uh, than I'm used to. It's PLA. So okay. I, I did the original ones out of uh, PETG. Okay. And, you know, it's great stuff. Um, it can be stringy. It can be a challenge to run. Um, and I also did some out of ABS. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, PLA was fantastic. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. I have a, I have a question uh, with that in mind. Um, that uh, four by five conversion back that I got from you is that ABS or PLA? No, that's uh, nylon twelve. Yeah. Nylon twelve, which is which is what? Uh, it's nylon basically. Um, it's with a binder. It's, yeah, that is a, that's a different process. Um, that is more akin to SLS. So it's a a layer of powder goes down, a binder is spread on it, and then that layer is fused all at once, and then more powder, and it's built up. Um, it's a beautiful result. Is it a lot more expensive? Or it yes. is, um, <laughs> and. That process is just hitting the market, so that is that is super new technology. Is it super stinky to work with? No, 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 not at all. Uh, you don't really smell it. And right. Does it work? The does it work with a? Big. Do you need a different machine for it? Yeah. Yeah. In, ah, there you go. In, in about seventy grand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then also like powder <laughs> handling and powder mixing and powder cleaning equipment. Yeah. And okay. I I might get into an SLS machine this year, but uh, yeah, the beautiful parts, really, really. Yeah. Uh, in, intense investment. Uh-huh. Yeah. There you go. As opposed to, oh, I think I have, I have nine. Uh, uh, Creality CR10s mm. that are going, um, and I I like that machine. Um, I have kind of standardized on it. All the parts are the same. Um, it's kind of the Southwest Airline model. Um, uh-huh. You know, they only fly Boeing 737s. Period. Right. Um, and that way they have, uh, you know part logistics and everything else is totally simplified and and that's kind of how it is with the uh the cr10s i have um and i've had really good luck with them i and, also stand by that machine it is yeah. the one motor upgrade of the enders i generally i mean i suggested that you and graham buy enders to start with which i think you both did the cr10 yeah, is a little right. nicer um, yeah, I I think I talked to you as well, Graham, about uh, the Ender Three. Right. Yeah, when you were printing, uh, you were printing a a, a tank 
um, it was like a 40 hour print mm-hmm. on a developing yeah. tank, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you were doing that. Yeah, that was the first machine I, I got was the uh, the Creality Ender 3. And it's a great little machine, you know, a couple hundred mm-hmm. bucks. Um, it does a good job right out of the box. Um, yeah, highly recommended. So, and then, you know, basically the, the CR-10 is, uh, is a upgraded version of that that's... Um, I've got them both. <laughs> 800 millimeter bed on it. Wait, 800 millimeter bed? Or, uh, no, sorry. A 300 millimeter bed. I've got a 500 millimeter CR-10, which is great, but sometimes my print jobs are a week and a half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's uh, that's eight eight by eight for the rest of uh, the the backwards thinking measuring North no, America. No, 300 is bigger. It's like 300 12 by 12. Is 12 by 12. Yeah. 12 by 12. Your oh, printer okay. is so 8 what by a, 8. What a, oh, I have 240. Yeah. Mine is, is it 240 by 20. 40. No, the Ender's okay. 220 by oh. 220 by 250 in height. Oh, okay. And that's the and that's the 8 by 8. Yeah. There we go. So, okay. Um, oh, wait, I wa- before we finish this segment, okay. I want to ask some some very pointed, hard-hitting questions about uh, the starfish reels. One, Jeff, what do you call them? What, what is the official name of this reel that I've been seeing? I have seen this reel all over the world on Instagram and in person. Uh, like, I it's, just still it, don't know the name. It's uh, QL, QL film reel. Okay. So quick look. So oh, the the one that you probably see most is the QL45, mm-hmm. um, which is the four by five six sheet quick look they, film reel. Are they all named QL dash or QL yes. and two numbers that yep, are that designate the film size? And then can you very quickly rattle off every single size that you offer? I can. You ready? Yep. Mm-hmm. Two by three, six by nine, three by four, four by five, nine by twelve, five by seven, uh, eight by ten, uh, four by ten, and five by twelve. Wow. And Jeff, do you make custom uh, size film reels at requests? Absolutely. Um, the latest has been for reels for the. Uh, Oh, Phototherm Sidekick automatic processors. Um, those machines, I, I think, as far as factory reels for those, only went up to 4x5. Um, so I've been building uh, 5x7 and 8x10 reels for those. Um, but I get requests all the time uh, for different film sizes. Uh, and that's where the, the 12 Five by twelve came from uh, a gentleman in England has a uh, a Keith Canham camera, uh-huh. big panoramic camera, and uh, he wanted to try a reel for it. Um, so he sent me some of his uh, two of his five by twelve negatives, and uh, I built reels for him and packed them up and sent them to England. So and he's <laughs> a happy camper. So and, and I do quite a bit of that yes go um jeff we will get to like uh, all of your contact info and advertising stuff but in this segment i i think i should ask like how would people request uh 
a specific type of film reel from you or, or anything else? Um, my website, uh, 20centurycamera.com. It's the number two zero, then TH Century Camera. Um, and we will have that in the show notes. I've put it in twice also already. Also, in, in, you know, uh, my phone number's there on the website that you can call. Um, and my email is jeff at 20 Century Camera. Email me. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of a night owl. I, I'm, it seems like I'm always available. One of the things that we wanted to talk about on this episode was what we had planned for the new year. Uh, We're recording this um, second week of January and uh, we're, you know, we've got a whole year stretched out before us and we're trying to, to, to just kind of summarize what our goals are. And uh, just so that later on we can listen to our goals and laugh because we went off in tangents. So, so Nick, why don't you start us off? Well, this year is shaping up to be crazy busy. Um, and I, I, among other things, I have a, a show of prints scheduled for near the end of the year. Uh, so I guess I'm going to have to focus on making prints, which is a good thing because I've been what's taking a lot of subject? photographs. So uh, what's the subject of the show? Yeah, it, it, there are several possibilities and I'm, I'm still working on exactly how to bring it into focus but uh, certainly some of it's going to be local because it's a local show and it's always a good idea uh, to have some stuff that people connect with yeah yeah right um so i will probably focus on landscape and portraits that are relevant to people in on this island where i live uh, and where the show will be are you limiting it to to like a certain set of cameras or a certain format or not at all it's it's going to be more about making the prints themselves consistent uh okay not necessarily only one kind but i'm going to focus on prints but the original camera almost doesn't matter because if i okay you know it's 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 going to be more focusing on well what kind of prints am i going to produce Um, well nick what about if the camera makes direct prints like a wheelbarrow afghan camera uh, and and it would be perfect a, because you couldn't take an pictures. ice cream wagon. Yeah, or but well, wait, who's making one of those? We so are. those are all those are all things on my those are all things on my list of absurd projects, and it's just a question of time. We'll see. At this point, I'm focusing on making prints that I like, and in in whatever yeah. process clicks, I'm going to make a whole bunch of prints. And uh, if Black I have time, if I have time, color. I'll be building the wheelbarrow. So I love color, um, but I am um, I am wanting to do more darkroom work, and that would be for me that would be black and white. So at this stage, until I get the Afghan direct positive thing working, I'll be working on gelatin prints will be black and white, and color would be digital at this at this stage. So start with a, a film image, and then. Uh, process it digitally and print it digitally for for color that's what i'm doing right now yeah exactly. uh, yeah so here's here's a pro tip 
the bigger you can make it, the more people will recognize it as art. So that's my pro tip for the. Well, there, yeah, and I have no objection to sending things out either. Um, so <laughs> we'll we'll see what works best in terms of results that I like and the time available. All right, all right. Um, uh, do you have anything else that you want to add to that for your for your goals? Uh, no, it'll be top secret. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I'll go next um, because I, uh, um, I I'm, I'm right on the cusp, right um, close to the release of uh, the 612 as a set of files. It is right now in beta version. One of those beta cameras is going to be mailed off to Nick this week. Um, where he will view a two-hour video on how to put it together, and then he'll give me feedback on the video and feedback on the camera. Um, when that uh, process is done, hopefully in another month, uh, I will be releasing those files. So we're looking at mid-February. Uh, there will be uh, more announcements. Uh, you won't be able to miss it. Believe me, you won't be able to miss it. Um, and it will be somewhat on the same model as Ethan's um, uh, Bronco Pan, but I'm uh, not going to do it through Kickstarter. I'm going to just uh, sell the files through Etsy for people to print. Uh, part of the deal is that um, uh, I will need to design a, a lens cone for each different lens focal flange focal distance which means uh that i will be actually selling the body and the lenses sep the lens cone separately um but they'll be priced um um you know it, 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 so you can the idea is that you can buy five different lens cones if you have five different lenses you want to run on this thing this sounds um, extremely convoluted and i'm going to try and talk you into something slightly different <laughs> oh, okay. the, the two-hour video good. sounds painful <laughs> yes, yes i've already it, it, and it was it was <laughs> and there at one point i cut my thumb um <laughs> so it was very painful uh and, yeah it, right exactly um in time it, and i'm going that's to also force graham to get that down yeah, 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 yeah. And and I don't have any problem with that. It is a two hour rough cut. I made two hours of videos putting the thing together. Perfect. So and that includes calibration. And I just looked at that the other day and the calibration was out of focus. Uh, <laughs> the, the camera that I took the calibration was out of focus, which kind of defeats some of the purpose of that. So. Uh, so, yeah, we'll 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 work on that. Um, I want to do a six is... nine. Oh, say it again. The, the painful part about you thinking it's a rough cut is ultimately, I think you're going to watch it, make a final cut, and then re-record everything. And so yes, video is absolutely. Ugh, painful. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, so I'm sorry. the only person who really has to go through that pain is Nick when he's putting together his, his camera in, in the next uh, week or two. So, so you're going to send me a real um, a real time video of the whole process and I'll just hit pause yeah. and copy what you do and then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um so uh I have um there is a series there uh, um it, this goes back to Oscar Owison with his Panamicron 
um, uh, about a year ago, you had um, Hamish from uh, 35MMC taking apart a Bronica um, ETR lens um, for use on the Panamicron. And I, uh, I thought, well, I have one of those. And I took one apart back about a year ago when, when uh, Hamish was doing his. And, um, and I wanted to see if it worked on the 6x12. It's got a 6x9 coverage. So uh, the thing about that is if I did a version of the 6x12 um, as a 6x9 camera, and made one lens cone, uh, um, you could theoretically um, just um, swap out those um, those lenses with a uh, you know with that have a single flange focal distance, and that could be uh, a way of creating a a really nice six by nine. I'm going to look into that. That's actually a recent thought. So. Um, uh, w- w- I'm going to have to flesh that out in my brain. Uh, as I said, I have to do a bunch of different nose cones for the 612. Um, I want to develop a roll film back for the, uh, camera dactyl, um, OG. Ugh, now and... I gotta pick up that prototype and release it before you do. <laughs> okay. Well, it's going to be, I think it's going to be different from yours. It's going to be considerably different from the way that you're going about it. So, um, so you're, you're talking about a graph lock, uh, two by three nope. graph lock. No. So, nope. so what's it? Oh, nope. for four so by five. I, yeah. It, it, uh, oh, well, for the OG. It's, for the OG. A roll, a yeah, roll from for back the OG. For the OG. Got it. Yeah. So lots and lots yeah, and lots and, and lots of people have four by five cameras. Yes. Will accept it. Right. right. And are I'm, you? I'm three well, prototypes down. Right. That so hole. you're looking at you're looking at a red window okay. 120 kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and if uh, and if Ethan beats me to it, you know, um, mine will be better in, in one way or another. No, I, I'm uh, I'm really actually, uh, Ethan. I'm excited if you can um, uh, if you can get that out before I do it. You know, I'm at the measurement we'll stage. So we'll see. Mine. Yeah. I'm exactly. I'm three prototypes in and two design styles deep in that and it is okay. shelved. It was not on my list, but you might have lit the fire under me to get it out so I can sell it oh, before you. I but see. <laughs> now now I we see. now we can be nemeses. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, we can we can be like I'm the innovative developer. And you are Apple, and you buy my company, and um, uh, you know, so uh, it, it, so so to put that into uh, the operating system, or you don't buy my company, you just put it into the operating system and put me out of business. That's what I, I you don't are. know. I don't know. A guy from business. the a guy from the Bronx <laughs> just, just, just just might have you whacked, I'm Graham. I, I think you should be careful. Yeah, there. No, no. My favorite part of I think I think my favorite part of the entire time we've been doing the show was Ethan just there saying it was my business. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh, uh, so back in with with what I'm doing. Um. Uh. Okay. 
I I do have this uh, RB uh, Graflex um, that that I you know once again um, I'll step on another toe because Jeff has these um, at 20thCenturyCamera.com. Go to 20thCenturyCamera.com and see the modification back uh, stuff that he's got for this to make it a functional camera. Yeah, but I'll probably do my own. And um, so, so now Jeff, you're supposed to say, but that's my business. <laughs> no, you know what I say? Go for it. And Hey, call me when you run into problems. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yes, there's a lot of, okay. a lot of little esoteric hoo-ha yeah. that goes along with those. And I actually, oh. I'm, I'm using one of them and they, they are really, really nicely made. I think, Obviously, now I understand you're using a superior material, but the other thing I like about them is that they completely work with all the standard Graflex stuff, like the the spring-type ground glass. Uh, all of those mm-hmm. things will just work right on it, which is which is nice. Uh, and I don't know cool. of any, anyone else making one like that. Yeah, and mine probably won't. Um, so uh, let's see, a couple other things that I want to do. I want to do, as I mentioned, a stereo lensed um, six by six camera. Um, so it very well might use the body of the um, uh, of the six twelve, um, just simply oh, wow. because. With, yeah, with like a um, double so, uh, Right. Oh, oh, so it'll right. have breasts. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a lighter in the middle. Yeah, right, with a divider. Yeah, that's absolutely. A, that's a good yeah, that's a good so, idea. Oh, that's so, so cool, Grant. What a good that, idea. That might, yeah, I, I just have to figure it out. You have to hurry I'm up and sure. make one, Ethan. I think, no, I got, yeah. I got enough stuff. I think, I Graham, you, sh- you, should build it, you should build it into oh, a uh, a head, uh, like a, you know, a head harness so that you can just put it on right. like one of those virtual reality things and go around uh, – I guess you'll need some kind of viewfinder to see your feet so you don't fall over, but no, (laughs) no, this is going to be like Um, the six twelve is great. I think like the stereo, I like digital stereo stuff because everything I do with it afterwards, it's digital. But I think, man, you are very, very close to making an excellent six by six stereo camera. I think that's a super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've, already done so much of the work you know uh, yeah why not i just have to i just have to figure the um uh the helicals i'm not sure the helicals okay, I, I have a i have a so. super easy solution for that um uh-huh so uh, we should talk about this in a stereography episode but um uh-huh. real quick and i'll show you this offline um I built uh-huh. a 3D rig in 2010 that used some aluminum angle brackets and held two digital SLRs. And basically, they had okay, yeah. um, zoom and focus rings that were coupled with belts. And right now, like 3D yeah. printer belts are excellent, and you can print teeth in it. We'll we'll, we'll get uh-huh. into this, but I, I got some really good solutions for syncing your helixes. Um, if okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have to go down to uh, an M42 helical, which would mean that I would not be able to use any lens with a back lens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's already, it, everything all has to be in front of the shutter. 
The other um, thing you might do is is crib some of the focusing from like the the graphics you have, which uses like a a rail and a bellows or or two sliding boxes. Right. With, you know, opinion you can right. There isn't room to there isn't room to jam M65 side by side because then you could just have like I, a I cog, don't a, think so. If you could get them really close together, you could just use a cogwheel connection, um, uh-huh. which would be which would be another yeah. option. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, so and then um, the other thing is, so I um. Uh, I'm sure I'm like everybody else in that I come across cameras that I have film loaded in and I had forgotten. And so I need to run out the film and develop it and stuff like that. Well, uh, one of the ones, um, uh, James Guerin's Reality So Subtle 6x6 was one of those, which is a, a pinhole camera for those of you who are not uh, not familiar with the camera. Um well, uh, I I love this for a ton of reasons. One of them is it is ultimately pocketable. Um, I wear cargo pants everywhere where I go. Yeah, I'm that guy. Um, and Florida, I, yeah, these just yeah, right. I mean, these just these just slide in. But the problem is it is it is visually too wide for my taste. So, um, and the same thing goes for, um, uh, the Terrapin Oscar six by six, and that is Todd Schlemmer. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, Todd Schlemmer is the one who does that one. They're both pretty wide. The, the, uh, reality so subtle is just a little bit wide, a little bit wider. And they're, the, the width of, uh, the view angle has to do with they're pretty much as small as you can do with um, uh, 120 film reel, um, you know, so that's what's driven the size. So I want to make a pocketable pinhole camera that will um, it, that will have just a little bit longer focal length um, so that it's not just, you know, super super quick fall off of light and super distorted um, stuff. I mean, there's a place for that. And I like that in, in a lot of pictures. And um, I, I uh, have up on my Instagram, a picture of a train um, at a railroad crossing a train going by that, um, that I think it, you know, it was like, look what I, you know, great opportunity. I have it right here in my car. I'm going to take this out and take that shot. And it turned out just as wonderfully as I'd hoped. It's just a little bit longer of, or a little bit shorter of a focal length than I want. It's a Wait, little bit am, more distorted. Oh, my voice is cracking today. Um, am I yep. hearing Graham Young trying to go up the fidelity curve? <laughs> up the fidelity. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I am. We're, we are talking uh, a pinhole camera. You know, so... I don't know how far up the develop, uh, fidelity curve you can go with a pinhole camera, but yes, normally I go down the fidelity curve quite a I bit. I think you're but, you're coming uh, back up. It's it's paraboloid. I'm really excited to see where all of these are going. Yes, I think. or it boomerangs. I'm boomerang yeah. up. So so wait, that's uh, and then I have a couple of other things um, that I'm working on that are like accessories, like a. Um, 
a bracket. Okay, so Hamish is finally about to get the uh, pixelator out. And if not, I'm going to just make my own. I mean, I I, I totally <laughs> sympathize with his his delays, but um, but I'm about at the point of making my own because I hate digitizing four by five with my uh, V600 Epson. It's just it's impossible. Um, so, but, you know, so uh, si- well, since I'm shooting my stuff uh, with a with a camera on a light pad, right. uh, I use um, right. And larger film holders, they work perfect. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they're. Uh, it's not. That's not the part that I'm really going to work on. Um, but I went and got uh, a bunch of one-inch diameter uh, PVC pipe, and uh, I've made essentially a copy stand that will go up and down. And um, I need to make the bracket that goes from the vertical pipe to the uh to the camera and um so that is uh that's something that i'm going to be working on as well so so that's i mean i've got a few of those little you know accessory projects going but that's that's what my uh 2020 that's my uh perfect vision 2020 plan um cool i like those what's what's the bet that any of those get done I bet a lot of them will get done. I'm one. I'm super excited about the 612, but like also at a left field, the stereo six by six built on that platform seems like a super winner to me. And something something else that you just said, Graham, earlier. I don't know if you realized it, but you invented the analog alternative to a drone, which is the boomerang camera. Uh, yes. What's what's Jeff up to in 2020? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez, I got all kinds of things. Um, so big bad cameras from scratch. Uh, like I said, I'm going to do a run of five by seven cameras, five by seven studio SLRs, uh, rotating back, four by five complete camera. Uh, that's a little more small and a little more compact than uh, oh, the 4x5 SLRs that are out there now, all one of them. Um, see, I hope someday in 2020 to be let back into the Graphlex Facebook group. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I was a little <laughs> too much of a rebel for them. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. It's a, it's a rough crowd, right? Oh my God! Were you kicked out because of your designs, or did you do something bad, or are those one and the same? I posted. Oh God, I don't know how 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 we want to get into this. Um, Be polite and quick. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Well, the moderator uh, has a company called, and he's a direct competitor. And I posted a photograph of a camera I was doing for a customer he had sent me. And the camera he bought from a super well-known uh, Graflex SLR builder. Um, and he wanted it changed. And, oh, my God, you would have thought I painted a mustache on the Mona Lisa. It was 
the, the, the amount just of just the fact of altering a camera made you uh, unwelcome. Is that what you're saying? Um, no, it. Um, um, I got pissed off at the moderator for allowing people to yell and scream and call me a hack and yeah, you know just be dicks uh-huh. in general. Uh, I, I was unpleased with it and mm. uh, got no satisfaction. <laughs> right. And, right. And, I yeah. like that you have turned your displeasure into making more cameras, though. It's, it's uh, a good outlet. Well, here's the thing. You know, I want to be a camera builder, not a camera modifier. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to be a and, camera builder. And, and, and we have to start somewhere. We do. We do. And ultimately, you know, uh, a customer paid me a fairly large sum to make his Arrow Liberator more shootable for him. Uh-huh. He's old. So, yeah, yeah. Mustaches on Mona Lisa's. Good times. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that actually Leonardo painted the mustache out. Um, I agree. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. I agree. I think there was a shadow there at least. So that um, hopefully I'll get around to building lens boards for Nick. Still on my list, man. I haven't forgot about you. It's okay. Uh, I've got so much stuff going on that, you know, it'll be great when you get to it, but uh, no rush. Well, I just wanted you to know I hadn't forgotten about it um and then i i'm gonna have a kickstarter uh for a new product that'll uh work with the reels and the patterson tanks that's kind of cool i i think it's a game changer and i think a lot of folks are gonna want one so keep an eye out for that and uh that's about it you know keep my head down keep my printers loaded and you know, try to uh, get up from my desk once or twice a day and go for a walk. And, so know. I'm kind of curious if you're if you're developing a a, a from scratch four by five camera body, is that going to be all 3D printed or you, would you combine materials? Um, Jeff and I got to talk about lasers later. Mm-hmm. Laser, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's going to be fairly traditional. Um, I'm sure there will be some 3D printed components on it. Uh, but so when, you, when you say traditional, do you mean pieces of wood or pieces of metal? Uh, or? Wooden oh. brass. Wooden brass. Nice. Oh. Yeah, uh-huh. I like it. So, you know, it, at least the, the 5x7, since it's a studio camera, mm-hmm. uh, is going to be a really pretty camera. Right. And with the big cameras, it can pay to pick light materials because... Yeah, it gets out of hand otherwise. Well, ultimately, I'd like to build a carbon fiber four by five for street use. I'd like wow. to get something mm-hmm. that you could hand hold into the four or five pound neighborhood. As uh, an SLR? Yeah. Jeff, you crazy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've, uh, I've done a lot of uh, carbon composite stuff uh, in past lives. And I think a nice carbon composite box and, you know, mirror platen and, 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 and uh, you could get a great big, really lightweight camera um, 
which would I, be I would be very interested in something like that, but I probably can't afford it. It sounds like though for mountaineering and you know backcountry work, that would be great. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so mountaineering be... four by five. <laughs> Uh, well, so SLR. I'm. Well, what are you laughing about? I'll be taking the OG into the mountains this summer. Yeah, me too. <laughs> warm up, but still. it's not an SLR, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little smaller, but I mean. Well, just the the, yeah. the only reason I chuckle is these cameras are freaking giant. Yeah. <laughs> you'd almost, uh, you know, you'd have to strap it to the back of your backpack. Yeah, right? that's that's okay as long as you can. Keep you know, put your lunch inside the camera while you're. I mean, oh, totally, man! <laughs> Flip I, the uh, mirror up, and you know, you have a seven by seven cube in there that you can do whatever you want with. Mm-hmm. That's where gotta, you hide your liquor. <laughs> uh, so I have two friends. One that I go backpacking with a lot, and he just straps a ukulele or a guitar to the back of his backpack if he's not playing it, and just bangs it against things. For the whole trail for days, oh, and I so you, would like to do the same with the OG this summer. Oh well, um, no, 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 no! You need to make a ukulele camera. I have and been then, thinking about three. And then he'll ukuleles. carry it for you. Yeah. <laughs> the other is I I know a guy who may or may not use his film cameras to smuggle drugs into festivals in California. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell anybody. We don't want that. Avenue anyway, to not. close up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Timestamp. <laughs> Timestamp. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so Ethan. Oh wait, uh, Jeff. Are you are you done with your crazy plans or? Yeah, that's about uh, it. Did, you know. Okay. Let's yeah. hear about Ethan's plan for the rollback uh, for the 4x5 uh, OG. Okay, so in 2020, I plan to design a 5x7 SLR out of carbon fiber. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm oh, kidding. Okay, uh, just I'm steal not going to do anything. Thunder Steeler. Thunder yeah. Steeler. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so I'm, I'm pretty jazzed that the uh, Bronco Pan went through, and I'm going to spend at least until February 1st. Um, maybe mid-February, um, finishing the videos and doing some um, YouTube live streams for troubleshooting people's printers who haven't printed before or troubleshooting people's assemblies who are, you know, having having a hard time. I want to make sure that, you know, all of those cameras are out there and, and working, that people are, you know, having a, a smooth time of it regardless of the amount of, you know, experience they have assembling and, and printing things going into it. Um, and then I've got, you know, a ton of prototypes for things that I really want to finish up. Um, and I gave myself all of 2020 to do these things. And I, I split them into two projects uh, or, or two project groups. Um, the first one is fairly simple stuff. And the second one is sort of like moonshot projects that I'd like to do in the second half of the year. So um, I made the 8x10 sliding box camera, which I've been calling the Cajon which is ready to release, but I would like to release it with a bunch of other things and make some videos that I, I don't have to, the time to make those videos right now. But, you know, in the first half of this year, I would like to do sliding box cajones from uh, 8x10 to 16x20. I'd like to finish the laser cut and 3D printed folding field cameras, which will be expensive, but um, not necessarily in comparison to 
other cameras that go from eight by 10 to 20 by 24. Um, I'm going to, and th this is another one of a project that I have that I have a working prototype, but it's not quite uh, there for me to be able to sell it. I, I want to make it a little bit slicker uh, and nicer before I sell it as a project is the self-developing back for the Afghan box camera. And I'd like to do that in eight by 10, 11 by 14, 16 by 20 and 20 by 24. Um, I also have the elements on my desk to build a bunch of rapid rectilinear lenses. Um, I think I can go up to about 16 by 20 with a 700 millimeter that I have, but um, that you know may or may not actually materialize. I haven't done any testing yet. Um, and then I'm thinking of maybe making some sort of mechanical large format shutter. Uh, Joe Van Cleve has been uh, really pushing for just sort of like a sliding shutter that goes in front of your lens. I have a very old design for a Copal style shutter um, and I have a new resin printer. And so we'll see where that goes. I don't know that that is something that I will complete certainly in the first six months of the year. But um, if I bang out the camera bodies and the film backs, I think the lenses and shutters are sort of the next thing to start working on. I also really want to make a video with Joe about everything we've learned in the direct positive process. Um, Joe and I put up videos as we've been learning, but we've learned so much more and have such nicer results now. Um, and we, I, I would, I would love to see that, Ethan. I, hmm. I was thoroughly impressed with that little project. Thanks. It, uh, it, it, it definitely motivated me to, uh, to give that a try. Um, and to build a giant camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, well, that's uh, what I'd like to be doing if I had more time. Yep. Yeah, so I've, I've been hanging out with Joe just about every Tuesday. He's got a weird schedule. Um, and we sort of dropped off making more videos about it because ultimately, like, we make such little progress every week. Joe would wind up making the same video over and over and over. But um, we have made some real improvements on the process and taken some really nice pictures um and so i think in a couple of months you know we will maybe split it up into a couple parts like a demo uh and maybe a demo on some of these new products that i'm putting out in ultra large format but also just like a really dry and boring one with like joe and i at the whiteboard uh, as if we were doing like a college class on the thing with a lot of the theory and math and chemistry behind it um, and I think like the, the goal of that is not to be like a super entertaining, cool YouTube guy, but to just no really kidding. what is going on so that other people can <laughs> one pick up the process and build their own cameras, but also to right. the process and buy my cameras and accessories around that process. Um, and so plenty, that, that's plenty of people want that dull uh, side of things, though. Uh, mm -hmm. There's tremendous interest in that um, Classic Lenses podcast, Jason Lane interview. <laughs> yeah. just did. And it's just watching yeah. someone else play with a computer. But it's uh, for people who are interested in lenses, it's it's really uh, meat, meat and potatoes. Yeah, well, I think um, people should really watch a Khan Academy video on intro to optics before they get into that. Even I think that was a great episode, but um, Jason starts, you know, post first year optics in in you know college physics and a lot of people are not at that point and don't really what was that what were so you the, recommending again the classic lenses podcast is a no the intro to optics yeah 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 
Right, so I, I took intro to optics in college. I, I could, uh, oh, I, I thought you were referencing a, uh, oh, uh, another podcast. Uh, or, well, so the, the Khan Academy, or there's a couple Khan of, Khan Academy, you know, just that's like, what I'm talking about. Is that K-A-H-N? Correct. Yeah, and the, it's not just the Khan Academy. There's there's probably some PBS and other, um, you know, like number file type of, YouTube channels that just go over the basics of thin lens approximations and um, how one calculates, you know, focal nodes and, and such. Um, but like, yeah, the, like the, the primer on um, optical physics is necessary to understand that most excellent episode with Jason Lane. Um, yeah. Anyway, that that's kind of what I really want to get done in the first six months of this year. I don't know if I will get all of those things done, but I'm I'm confident enough to talk about it as if I'm going to get the majority of it done. I'm still waiting on this huge laser cutter to come online, but that should any minute now. And so I should be able to make uh, cameras 16 by 20 and 20 by 24, which I really can't on the current medium large laser cutter. And then the second half of the year, I think if I get through all of these things. Um, I just bought a small SLA resin printer. Um, and I've been, I just bought it not to make any specific camera, but to test the, um, strengths and durability and tolerances and uh, resolution of, uh, SLA prints in general. And I've been really impressed. And so things like, um, range finder and shutter pieces should, should become unlocked for me out of resin. Then again, I don't know if I will build a camera that needs another hundred hours of assembly that it becomes unfeasible to sell or, uh, you know, I just make myself one or, uh, wind up teaching people to use resin printers or buying a giant resin printer and going into production for, um, you know, 35 millimeter and 120 cameras that, uh, sort of classical range finders, but um, I'd like to begin work on that. I, I don't want to promise any projects in there. And that's, that is my 2020 resolution. All Sounds right. like, like three, three years worth of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing right. is I have in the first half of the year, like I have most of these things at least 25% done already. So I, I got a little bit of a lead on it. <laughs> okay. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. Quite possibly. Okay, so I have a book that I am going to read, even though I've just ordered it and I have not uh, actually seen it yet. I got noticed that it shipped yesterday, but it's called Build Your Own View Camera, an easy and inexpensive passport to the professional world of photography for the hobbyist by Burt West. And um, so... It looked really uh, kind of interesting to me. Um, so uh, I don't know if this was, um, you know, a super small press that published this or what, but I have a copy coming. And What's the I vintage will let drama? you guys know. Is this um, a new publication or is this? Um, 
it is uh October 1st 95 um so so it it was a while ago um it was certainly pre-3d printer um and you can't look very deep into it you know how some books you can look uh pretty deep into it but um uh i just thought that this was pretty interesting and it was uh it was pretty cheap so um uh you know uh we'll see how that uh that comes out and comes about so um so yeah um i have a couple of shutouts shutouts ah shutouts and i need to get to my email uh in order to do it and i think i've gotten away from my email so i am going to oh wait here no is it my email <laughs> here uh yeah there it is okay so um uh, a couple of people um uh talked uh, or sent me some emails about the six by twelve one of them was Mina Salib, who I believe is in Sydney or maybe Melbourne. Um, and uh, he was asking uh, if I'm looking if I'm looking at putting together a six by 15 or a six by 17 version. Uh, I will tell everybody that I'm not because a six by 12 version of this camera on my printer has to be printed diagonally. Um, maybe if I had a, a CR10, Creality CR10, I could probably um, put that together. And then uh, we talked about a few other things. Yeah, um, maybe, and maybe we can talk yeah. after the launch of the 612. I, I might be able to yeah, print yeah. off. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. And it's um, we'll, we'll see what the what the deal would be. Yeah. Um, uh, on that, um, let's see, we had another build and, um, here, hang on a second, Ryan, hang on a second. What is his name? Ryan Weiss. Uh, and it's, uh, R Y A N W Y S S. Uh, and if you do that.com, R Y A N W Y S S.com slash cold camera. Um, you can see a version of a camera that he's putting together that's very close to the 612 that, um, uh, that we, you know, I've been talking about. And also one more, um, Michael Catalano. Um, I think I put in enough A's in that. Yeah, Catalano. Uh, and if I butchered your name, I apologize. And he's in the process of putting together a very similar six by 12, but I believe he is waiting for a printer. So um, it's uh, several people are working on the same thing. Um, If you would like to, oh, uh, other people with shout outs. I have a shout out um, that Uh is applies to both Ethan and Jeff. Both of these guys make uh, some, a few parts now that are, really handy for homemade camera builders. And what I'm talking about right now are various uh, Graflex uh, flange backs that will attach to film holders. So it makes camera building much easier. You can just basically stick a lens on a box and then stick one of these film holder connectors on the back and use ready-made film holders and uh, 
whether they're roll film or sheet film. Um, it's it's a super handy thing. It kind of takes away one of the more difficult fabrication jobs and makes it a lot easier to make cameras out of ordinary household objects. Well, and it also keeps you from cannibalizing cameras out there for right. to to get the film back off of it. I appreciate yeah, and you bringing I, that up. It's yeah, something I forgot to mention. Yeah, there's eBay sellers out there that, that will sell you the, the bits and pieces they've disassembled uh, old cameras. And, and that, you know, sometimes it's okay, but sometimes they're ruining a perfectly good camera. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's nice to have an alternative. And these are probably easier to work with, too, because you can mount them. You don't have to use the teeny tiny little screws that came in the original ones if you don't want to. And, you know, exactly. And, you know, since you brought that up, it's something I forgot to mention. Um what Nick's talking about is um, a project back that I make. It's a flanged 4x5 graph lock back uh, that you can basically mount to anything. Um, a lot of people use them to make pinhole cameras. They can use the standard uh, graph lock accessories on the back of it. Um, but I do have a 5x7 uh, spring back in the works, as well as a 4x5 spring back. Yeah, and, and Ethan's doing a two by three, so that covers a yeah. lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's cooler than Ethan's, but other than that, but, you know, yeah, but you don't do the hot pink. Well, I could. I could, <laughs> I could do the camera dactyl, you know, homage version of it. I would like that very much. <laughs> I'll sue. No, better. Better. Get, get the uh, the multiple color filament, the transitions, uh-huh. you know, like go full tie-dye oh, Like rainbow. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a vault. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Um, Ethan, do you have any shout-outs? No, I'm, I'm good. Just thank you very much to all the Kickstarter backers and all of the... Yeah. YouTube channels and the blogs and the podcasts and the folks who shared my stuff on Instagram. It's, it's really, um, you know, uh, couldn't have done it without all of those people. Hundreds, if yeah. not thousands, people have, have helped. Uh, one of the things I, I, I really want to recognize uh, about them is that um, because this job, this Kickstarter became um uh, uh, you know, uh, funded and it becomes a thing, that means that now those of us uh, and those of you, everybody, and I'm saying us and we, as in, you know, everybody's listening as well, you know, when we come up with ideas, now we have a legitimate marketplace um because Ethan has done the job of making people go out and buy 3D printers, right? Um <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so. or, right. And uh, so this is actually really opening up a whole um you know, uh, this is opening up a whole path of designer to user um that we did not previously have or at least not in this industry we did not previously have, but we have now. And that's really exciting to me. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, even though, you know, it's it's one small step, right? Um, 
and uh, but it's a giant leap for the community. Um, so um, so thank you very much, Ethan, for that uh, oh, on behalf on behalf of that. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. So, Jeff, do you have any shout outs? Anybody you want to talk about? <clears throat> I have the link to the Peter Goland Gowland website um, already set up um, in our show notes. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to be worried whether or not he's mentioned in a podcast in 2020, but. Um, well, yeah, uh, because mainly uh, other people dead. should know about yeah. it. Yeah, mainly, <laughs> mainly or, or or maybe not even mainly. Maybe he just didn't wouldn't have liked podcasts. But um, but uh, those of you who do not know his craziness for making large format TLRs and pocket view cameras and other things. Uh, go to his website and check it out. Um, uh, craziness did not start with us. Uh, it, there's a long path for that. Anybody else? Uh, Jeff, anybody else you want to uh, shout to? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find this guy real quick. So I, I, there's a there's a guy Norman Dean on Instagram. I'm gonna do my little mensch thing here. He's doing a conversion back for Polaroid land cameras that you basically take the back of the camera off and you put a 3D printed back that accepts uh, 120 roll film. He's done a super nice job of it. His handle is uh-huh. analog NMD. Everybody should take a look at it. It's uh yeah. it's pretty cool. I'm pretty sure I follow it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, those uh I I've played around. I have got a half dozen of the Polaroid pack film cameras. They're great cameras. Um Yeah. It, it's unfortunate yeah, that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no film form anymore so converting them to roll film gives you a really nice very capable rangefinder at a reasonable price and you know if you get like a, a 250 uh, the 350 450 models uh they have zeiss icon single view rangefinders on them and nice glass uh-huh. they they're a great little camera, and this guy's film back um, is is pretty well thought out and pretty well executed. So a, a shout yeah. out to Norman Dean. Yeah, just this last week or two, he um, he posted a bunch of pictures of these, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, including um, he's got I think he's got them up working for four or five different. Uh, models i don't know i there was there was something i saw yeah I saw recently well. about this yeah yeah he's got so him is, working is for uh, just... um, the Go, what nick uh, oh i'm sorry is this something that just snaps right on the back of the camera or is it a, a uh, permanent I, I, modification it's a permanent modification yeah you have to take off the old back um so yeah, so he has them working for the 100, 250, 350, 360, and 450. And then he says if anybody wants a 180 or a 195 tested, uh, you can send them to him. Uh, but uh, it sounds to me like. <laughs> yeah. 
So so anyway, yeah, yeah. No, I'm totally with you on uh, on his stuff. Yeah. It, it, and I'd so, also like to say shout out to the administrators at the Graflex Facebook group. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Love and with you that, guys. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, on that note. Yeah. Let's uh, do. Shall we move on to contact? Yeah. Jeff, how can okay. everybody find you, and uh, what, what are all your websites, contacts, Instagram handles, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, Jeff, uh, best email, jeff at 20thcenturycamera.com, 20thcenturycamera.com uh, is how it's spelled. Website, 20thcenturycamera.com, Instagram. 20th century camera getting a theme here i take it um my personal photography stuff um which is usually my kids looking angry is uh jeffrey dot who at uh instagram and, and there, there's a question mark on that one right no there isn't I see. okay <laughs> because they don't let you do that um but that's the intent of it i imagine who? it there yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just imagine it there. Um, Facebook, uh, uh, Jeff Perry. I think it's for Jeff Perry, the the letter or the number four. Uh, and there's also a 20th Century Camera uh, Facebook page as well. And we'll also okay. need your social security number, birth date, and mother's maiden name. <laughs> <laughs> Levenstein? <laughs> no, Jeff, quiet. <laughs> I, I come from a long Isn't line of Irish Jews. Oh, well, Steenstein depends on how much Spanish habits you've had. <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. Uh, let's see. We can get a hold of Nick. Nick, you're back. Uh, let's see if... Um, uh, yeah, so you can get a hold of me uh, by that. What is it? Homemadecamera.com. Uh, yes. Homemadecamera.com. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nick at uh, something like that, and then uh, you know you can see a lot of stuff on Flickr under Nick Lyle, <laughs> and uh, Instagram uh, Avi Nick A V Y N I C K. Occasionally post there. And you'll see me on the Homemade Camera Podcast Facebook group, uh, but I, I only post uh, angry political stuff on Facebook. And, and so the only reason that I ever go there at all is to uh, hang out at the at the, uh, the various podcast groups in, on Facebook. Um, uh, Ethan, uh, Ethan at com and... Ethan at Camerdactyl.com, Camerdactyl.com, Camerdactyl on Instagram, Camerdactyl on YouTube. Okay, uh, one last thing before we go. I am giving away the alpha version of my 612 camera. And if you are at all interested in that, you can go to homemadecamera.com slash giveaway and register for it. Um you will need to provide your own lens and your own uh, M65 helical. Um, and uh, But I will uh, send you the body and I'll print a helical for you. If you also are interested in something else, I have the um, slit masks 
that I have developed for Holgas. I'm giving away five sets of those. And um, uh, so once again, homemadecamera.com slash giveaway. So you just said you and, would print, print a helical, but you might have meant nose cone. I'll print a, print a cone, nose cone. Yeah. yeah. I'll print a helical and it will be crap. And I'll <laughs> then have to print a nose cone to fit the helical. The helical will be about, you know, three feet in diameter. And uh, no, uh, yes, it'll be in a uh, nose cone. Um, uh, let's see. Shall we thank uh, Robbie? Yeah, Robbie, thanks so much for creating the music we use throughout the podcast. That's Robbie Cribs, and you can find his work at uh, a place that I yeah. completely forgot. Soundtrap Studios. <laughs> That's it. Soundtrap <laughs> Studios. Thanks, thanks Robbie. Robbie.